This is a show about content marketing for established, sophisticated online businesses. Unlike other shows about marketing, we focus on sustainable, measurable content creation, how to authentically automate your marketing to build up your know, like, and trust factor with a nurtured, engaged audience between launches, and get back to actually living your life instead of working to live. All right, let's just call it out right here at the beginning. What is the best way to kill your no like, and trust factor? Not living up to expectations. Now there's a caveat, of course. It doesn't mean that you need to run yourself ragged over delivering. You have to have healthy boundaries as a service business owner, or you will burn out. But setting expectations is your responsibility. You can do that with onboarding. You can do that in your contracts. You can also do that with your content. I talk a lot about how content should be a filter. You should get a lot more no's from your content than you should get yeses. The reason I like using content as a filter, and I have much longer episodes that go over this, but the short version of it is you don't want to deal with certain kinds of people. The beauty of setting expectations sounds like common sense, right? But I want to read you a short bit I saw on Facebook. These are actual complaints from Thomas Cook Vacations. I don't know what kind of people Thomas Cook is uh, putting their work out to, but these are hilarious. And I'm so sorry to the person who had to be on the other side and receive these complaints. So one, on my holiday to Goa in India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like spicy food. Two, although the brochure said that there was a fully equipped kitchen, there was no egg slicer in the drawers. All right, quick interjection. I have rented a vacation house and been very disappointed that there wasn't a lime zester in the drawers. I would never complain about it. I fully recognize that not everybody considers that to be a kitchen imperative. I do. Like 90% of the things I make have either lime or lemon zest in them. I love lemons. But I recognize that's not a normal thing. And my goodness, a kitchen vacation? Like, mm, some complaints just should be kept to yourself, right? (laughs) All right, digression over. The third complaint I'm going to read here, it took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It took the Americans only three hours to get home. This seems unfair. And finally, we went on holiday to Spain and had a problem with the taxi drivers as they were all Spanish. Hello? The lack of cultural awareness, the sheer stupidity here, it's kind of astounding to me. If you decide to go to Jamaica for vacation, you should probably know it's going to take you nine hours to get home. It doesn't matter if another vacationer only lives a couple hours away. These are choices and you made them. And yes, I called it out. These are really stupid complaints. But also, these are real people and they might be part of your audience. (laughs) So keep that in mind. It's why we like to have filters in place. It's why we like to have really good expectations. It's why we have contracts because a handshake should be good enough, but it's not always good enough. We need to set expectations up front. Now, I have talked a lot about trust on this show and, you know, with good reason. It's the third word in know, like, and trust, but it's also the most important when it comes to converting clients. You can build an audience with no and like, but not book someone without trust. And the first time I heard this concept was from a couple named Dave and Quinn Chung. They, at the time, were wedding photographers, and my husband and I were both wedding photographers as well. And when we first came together, each having our own separate businesses and decided to start working together, we had a lot of, shall we say, kinks to work out. I hear from people all the time that they don't think they could work with their spouse, that they're pretty sure that there would be a murder in the process. And I always laugh because... My husband and I actually joined our businesses long before we got married, and we had to work all of that out. You know, new relationship jitters and business like mergers at the same time. It was such a fun process. 
But one of the really good things we did was contact Dave and Quinn. They were running a business like sales and style workshop. And we asked them to do a one-off version with us because we felt like we needed that. We wanted to start our business off on the right foot. And one of those questions that Dave and Quinn asked us has always stuck with me. They said, what are you selling? And I was like, oh, A plus, I got this. Wedding photos. And Dave was like, nope, you are wrong. You are selling trust. You are selling the idea that when this couple gives you money, you will show up on the day they asked you to and deliver the photos that they are expecting. And that is always stuck with me. I have gone through a couple bitter business iterations since then, but that is what we are selling. We are selling trust. Are you going to create the website your client hired you to? Are you going to offer the nutrition plan they are expecting to? They are trusting you to do these things. And in addition to selling trust, you have to answer the question to build trust. And the question isn't necessarily what you think it is. It's not, hey, can this nutrition program work for me? But can this nutrition program work for me right now in my life? Because here's the deal, friends, real talk. Everybody thinks that they are unique. It's like a human condition, right? We all think we are so unique that nobody else has ever felt exactly what we have felt before. We all think we're so unique that nobody else has experienced the exact same business problems that we are experiencing in this moment. We all think that everything we're doing has never been done before in exactly the same way. So to earn this trust, we need to make sure that our audience, our potential clients, can answer that question. Can this work for me right now in my situation? Now, once we've built that trust, then it comes to that under-promise, over-deliver thing to keep the trust, to continue earning the trust. Now, it's easy to underpromise and overdeliver when you are in person. When you're selling face-to-face or voice-to-voice, it's easier to build that trust, but it's also easier to sell because when you hear a voice inflection change or you see a facial expression, you can change your pitch. You can come at it from a different angle. When you sense that somebody's on the fence, you can sense why and see if it makes sense to alter what's included. Now, sometimes you're going to be able to be like, you know what? No, this is how I work. I'm not changing anything. And you get that choice. You have that right as the business owner. Sometimes you're like, hey, this person's clearly worried about X. If I add in Y to kind of combat that problem, they're probably going to book with me. And you have the option and choice to do that. But this doesn't work when you scale. It is why so many one-to-one businesses moving into that one-to-many business model fail. Their tried-and-true methods don't work at scale. It's one of the reasons I love working with this segment, the people who are moving from that one-to-one service into one-to-many. Maybe they're doing courses. Maybe they're doing group programs. And they are realizing they can't alter their pitch based on someone's facial expression. They're realizing that they can't add in an unexpected bonus for that over-delivering thing for one person when it's a group program, right? They don't get that one-to-one time. They don't get to have that personal connection that gives them the ability to do this. This, by the way, is why you see so many nutty valuations on sales pages. It's a shortcut to building trust. Now, I'll be honest with you guys, I actually really struggle with this. I am not going to slap a $10,000 value on a program I sell for $2,800 even if I know it's certainly worth $10,000 if you apply it. If I know that I can book more than $10,000 worth of jobs in a month using the framework that I sell for $2,800, it's totally worth $10,000 because you can use that framework again and again and stack up those 10K months, right? Of course you can. 
But I can't properly express that on a sales page. I can't have a whole paragraph saying, I know that if you follow this, you will earn this because that's an income claim I cannot deliver because the person reading it might not have the ability to do that. So I struggle with the valuations on sales pages. I, just like you, see programs that say that they're worth $30,000, but you can have it for only $3,000 today. I really don't like that. I can't stand it. But it is one of the ways you build trust on a sales page. It's one of the ways you build trust online is by showing, hey, I have done this before. Here is this case study. You can apply this too. Of course, there's an ethical boundary here, and we need to be really, really careful about not stepping over that boundary. That's another way that you can kill that trust factor, right? Now, back to sales pages, it's also why you see money back guarantees on sales pages so often, especially when you would never see that same money back guarantee if it were a one-to-one service instead of a sales page one-to-many service, right? I do offer a 30-day money back guarantee on the show-up system. Why? 30 days is enough time for someone to figure out it works. 30 days is enough time for them to figure out, hey, it works, but maybe I should you know, bother applying it. And frankly, if someone can't be bothered to try something in 30 days and they're going to be someone who blames me for that, it's probably not somebody I want in my world. Bless and release, I will refund them, take them off my list. They don't get a buy from me again. It's not a problem. I want to build an audience of action takers. Back to last week's episode, right? Action cures fear. I want that audience to continue working with me. So yeah, I'll refund them, even though I know my product has value. Now, I won't refund someone who does one-to-one content planning with me. If they've invested top dollar, I've created the entire plan for them. All they have to do is show up once a week and create a video or record a podcast or write a blog post, and everything else gets taken care of for them so that they are not spending all of their time creating content. If I do all of that for them and they don't use it, that's on them. It's not on me. I have done everything I can for them. So that's the difference on money back guarantees. Yes, it helps with trust. Yes, it helps with underpromising and overdelivering. Now, you do have to balance what you promise upfront for sales purposes to make the sale sound like a good idea with what you'll do on the back end. In a couple of weeks, I have an interview with Robin Carberry coming up. We talk all about onboarding and how the onboarding process can affect that no like, and trust factor onboarding and offboarding for that matter, they matter. They are important. And yes, it really increases your ability to underpromise and overdeliver. But you have to balance what you're promising upfront with what you can actually deliver. And you in planning need to be able to know what can you overdeliver later? What can you take out of the original promise right now and include later on the back end so that they feel really cared for by you, but the lack of that in the original sales promise isn't going to be a hurdle to them buying. That's the balance that you have to figure out here. And the most important part of underpromising and overdelivering is that you have to have healthy boundaries. I am someone who actually has really good boundaries. If I don't want to do something, I genuinely like don't want to do it. I'll tell you no. I know people who cannot do that. They really really struggle with saying no. Sometimes it's cultural, sometimes it's personality-based. But if you know that that's you, if you know you struggle with boundaries, you need to set up systems around this. For example, every client that books you gets the same gift a week after signing their contract. Have that system in place. That way, you know you are equally serving your clients. That's the kind of thing you can do. Have healthy boundaries around client calls, if client calls are something that you do. 
most of my one-on-one marketing clients where I'm building sales funnels and content plans have the option of doing a once a week, half hour strategy call with me. It is something I include in my services. Every once in a while, that 30 minute call will go to 40 minutes. I get to decide whether that happens though. If I were someone that struggled with boundaries, I would probably have a hard stop at that 30 minutes written into the contract and probably as a reminder on the client call booking form so that the expectations are really clear up front. Since I know I have pretty good boundaries, if something's going on where I feel like a client is really going to get the benefit of a few more minutes, or honestly, sometimes if we're just shooting the breeze and connecting and having a good time, I'll let it go. But it's because I know I'm not going to be taken advantage of that in that situation. And it's because I know myself. So if you have solid boundaries, if you're someone like me, you do need to be aware that sometimes a little compassion is needed, even if it oversteps your boundaries. We're all human. We all get to change. And sometimes things happen that are outside of the normal, something you couldn't have predicted. And you have to realize, do you have good boundaries or do you not? And you need to set things up for yourself so that you're not either too lenient or too strict, but can find that balance again. Now, ultimately, your know, like, and trust factor is going to depend on your clients and your audience's perception of you. It depends on their experience. Now, you get to shape that experience by how you package things, how you present your services, how organized you are. You get to shape that experience by using your content as a filter in the first place. I would argue that most people listening to this podcast episode have heard my content and heard that I have very clear boundaries and they're probably not going to try and take advantage of me. They're probably not going to try and overstep because they already understand that is my hard stop. My content is a filter in this case. My content is telling you exactly what to expect of me. Those are the kinds of things that you want to kind of take into consideration when you are setting up your under promise and over deliver system, when you are systemizing this part of building up your no like and trust factor. If you found value from this episode, there are two things you can do to thank me. The first is share it with a friend. If you enjoyed this episode, you learned something from it, odds are you know somebody who needs to hear this message. I do truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you help that friend with something that they need to do, we're going to have less crappy marketers out there, which means less scams. And we get to help more people in those ways that we uniquely are meant to help them. The second thing you can do is leave a rating on whichever podcast app you are listening to the show on right now. Doing that helps me reach more people, getting, again, this same great information out there, and we all make a better, happier, effective, and ethical world as a result. Thanks so much. See you next week.